So we are continuing this study of the book of Galatians that we started now a few weeks ago. We are on week three, and we're working our way through the letter. And just as we started, this is a letter of Paul. Uh, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, but this is a, this is a unique letter of his in that it's in a little different style. Um, he, this is a lot more personal in the way that he, he writes, um, and he's also very passionate. Right? As we learned um, last week, right, that he is writing this letter in response to some false teachers, some false uh, Jewish Christian missionaries that are, are following behind him and going into some of these churches that he has started and, and um, undermining some of his teaching. And, and the, the ultimate um, message of these Christian Jewish uh, missionaries right, coming in is they, they are, are accusing Paul of not preaching the entire true gospel. Okay, because um, he's preaching saved by grace, right? not by works. And yet these, again, Jews turned Christians are coming in saying, now, um, yes, you are saved by grace, you follow Jesus, but now as a follower of Jesus, you must live according to the law. Right? There are certain things that you must do to stay in good standing with God and, and, and call people back into the old traditions of the law of Moses. Right? And the Jewish faith, and, and again, in the, new, the first covenant right, that was established through Moses. And again, and discounting right, a lot of what the new covenant of grace truly means. Especially as these Gentile believers start to come in. And, and right, I mean, there's, this is a major paradigm shift, I mean, for, again, for, the, for God's people, right? I mean, they were the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, even the Jewish nation, right, suddenly now is a lot more all-inclusive, right? And, and they're struggling with this, and there, there's this ongoing struggle between the tradition of the law and the new covenant of grace, right? In fact, that's where we left off last week as we um, got into through Galatians chapter 2, and so they said, we're picking right up where we left off, so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me uh, to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to cover all of Galatians 3 and even the first little section of four this morning. So again, as you open up your Bible, I just invite, keep it open uh, to Galatians. We're going to go back to it a few different times. If you're with us in person, don't have your own Bible um, or don't have it with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. Um, but as we, again, as I said, we're diving right back into this, this idea that, that Paul presents here in his, uh, in his um defending himself right against the gospel he's teaching in chapter two and now in three he dives deeper into this fact in the fact that there is an ongoing struggle between the tradition of the law and the new covenant of grace because what god has done and how he has worked in the past and then we compare that to what god is doing now and what god wants to do next right and again the life the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus ushered in the new, this new covenant, this new season of the church and of the mission. They, and again, they were struggling with, with this, this new tension. Now, in this next section of the letter, like I said, all of chapter 3 and the first section of 4, um, Paul makes the same point four different times. In fact, this, the, the main point that he makes in this section of the letter okay, is that faith in Jesus is what matters, not living by the law. 
Okay, faith in Jesus is what matters, not by living by the law. And, and the, like I said, he makes this point. He's already made this point, right? This is not new content in the letter. I mean, this, in fact, is, the, is exactly what he was defending. I mean, he's coming back and saying, no, it's just faith in Jesus. That's all you need, right, is receive God's grace, right, live in his mercy. I mean, continue to grow in that newfound faith and the newfound freedom that comes with following Jesus, and yet, again, there's this ongoing tension. And, and again, the faith in Jesus. And in fact, I encourage you on your outline, circle that phrase, faith in Jesus. Okay? And next to that, write, saved by grace. Okay? Because faith in Jesus means that I am saved by grace. Now, the, the other side of that, right, of this tension is living by the law. Now, if you circle that phrase, and next to that, right, equals saved by works. Because that's what the law did, is the law gave them a list of do's and don'ts. and says, this is what you need to do to stay in good standing with God. And, and that was what, that was the, the first covenant, right, of that. And that's why they, they sacrificed animals. I mean, that was part of the law, right, was that they would, they would sacrifice animals, and they would go to the temple, and they would work through all this, because they needed atonement for their sin, right, that was um, just kind of in place until Christ came. Okay, that's why it's the first covenant. That's why Jesus then um, fulfills that law by his death and his resurrection, because now he is our sacrifice, right? He became our sacrificial lamb, okay, which is why we don't go and sacrifice animals at the altar anymore, right? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Okay, and, and, and as we look at that, there's, again, this tension between saved by grace and saved by works, right? The, the old traditions, right, that brought them to God and that worked in that season, right, of, of God's plan of redemption, and now living in this freedom of saved by grace. And like I said, this is the point that Paul makes four separate times, right, in these next sections of the letter. So we're going to look here at the first time he makes this, this point, right, is in Galatians 3 verses 1 through 14. This is the first section. And so we're going to jump right back into the text here, Galatians 3 uh, verse 1. Okay, where he says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death has made, was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after searching your, your Christian lives in this, after starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Now I want to kind of stop right there and just think, notice there's a different tone even in these verses, isn't there? In fact, there's a little sarcastic tone in his writing, right? This is part of where we start to hear kind of some, and see some of his Paul's personality come through his writing in this moment. Right? And, and again, I, can, I, you know, I like that. I kind of identify. I tend to be a little bit sarcastic in some ways. Okay? And in fact, there's, there's the standard rule in our house, right? And the standard rule in our house is never believe the first answer. And again, our kids ask this stuff and like we just throw out, you know, this crazy answer and they're, they're like, no, really, like, What's, real, what's the real answer, right? And again, you kind of feel that here, right? Again, as Paul starts making these points and he starts breaking down his, his the defense of himself and of the gospel, here the tone changes again in the letter and he kind of comes out and he's like, oh, come on, guys. 
Like, you know this, right? Why are you, why are you going back? I mean, with all of this teaching in vain, and, and, and again, as he makes this point over and over and over again, and he, he dives deeper into it here, right? He, he, he literally proves to them why saved by grace and not by works is the truth. And in this first section, as he starts out with kind of this sarcastic tone, and then he dives deeper into the first proof. And, and again, saved by grace, not by works. Proof number one is the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's what he describes in this section. And you see, he already did that in his first verses, right? He, he asked the real question. I think after he kind of got through a little bit of the sarcasm, right? He, he says, he says now sit back and just ask this question. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive it by living in the lot? No. Right, you received it by re- believing in Christ. Right, you see the Holy Spirit by, by asking him into your life, right? Submitting your, your, yourself, surrendering to his will, seeking his forgiveness and his love, inviting God into your life. And that's how you join the journey of faith, right? Is you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, right? And receive that gift of salvation. And when that happens, you receive the Holy Spirit. Again, later in this section, in this next verse, in fact, we read to four, in verse five, he, he asks the question again. He says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. Right? It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Hey, now, the, the, the kind of awesome, encouraging thing about this verse, right, and this, that from this as Paul reiterates this over and over again, right, is the fact that, that they, they do see evidence of the Holy Spirit among them, and he is working miracles, right? Like, that's the assumption in this verse. Right? He's like, God is at work, right? The, God's power is being unleashed in your lives and in your church and in your community, right? And you are seeing miracles. And he says, now let's step back from that and say, now Why? Right? Why is that true? It's true because of Christ. And it's true because you have received him as your savior and you continue to walk with him, right? And, and, make, and being transformed by his spirit and, and being more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. That's why the Holy Spirit's at work. It's not because of your works, right? It's not because you're obeying the law. It's not because you're doing all of these things from the first covenant. Right? It's because you receive Christ as, as your savior, Right? And you're walking with him every day. And you're being transformed by him every day. Right? Later, at the end of this section, in verse 14, he reiterates, again, makes the same point about the Holy Spirit, where he says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Right? We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. In fact, he takes this even, and goes even deeper into the history, right? He, he goes even past Moses, and the law, that's when the law was given. The law was given to Moses. And yet he goes back, though, to the original covenant that God made with Abraham, right, which was even before Moses. And then when it comes to Jewish history, like, right, there's Moses, and then there's Abraham. In fact, they, um, the, the, the Jewish especially religious leaders, they, they put everything on the fact that they were children of Abraham. That they wrapped their entire identity into that. And in fact, Jesus and them get in a pretty big argument about it, actually, but we're, we're going to go there a, l- a little bit later today. 
as we look at that, right, he goes all the way back to Abraham and he says, no, you, you, you now are receiving the promised Holy Spirit, the promise that God gave Abraham, right, when he first established his covenant with him. I'm saying you will be a father of many nations, right? And there's, there's these, these miracles that God did through Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac, right? And, and again, we have this phrase in the Bible that we see, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want a little more backstory there, I encourage you to dive into Genesis, right? That's where all of that is found. So you see this, his first point, right? As he, as he gives the, the main point, that faith in Jesus is what matters, not by living by the law, right? It is saved by grace, not by works. Proof number one is in this section, right, of it is the Holy Spirit. Right? The next section in Galatians 3, verses 15 through 22, that he makes the same point, right? The same main point, but he makes it in a little different way. In this section, right, he once again proves saved by grace, not by works. And here's proof number two, that God's, pro- God's promise of a new life came through the Messiah. Again, that's exactly what God promised Abraham. If you go back and read that text and, and that story, that, that's, that was the covenant he established with him. He says, Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. You will be my nation. You will be a holy people. Right? There are all these, these promises that were given to Abraham right? that lived out through these generations. And then you know, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then into Joseph, right? and then Moses. And, and as the baton of leadership continued to be passed down the line through the pages of history, they, that, um, that they see there's this promise followed God's people. And the promise was that they would be saved through the coming Messiah. Right? That was always the message. Right? It was God's plan from the very beginning was to save the world through the, the, this promised Christ child. Okay? In Galatians 3.19, he says, why then was the law given? Was it given alongside the promise to show people their sins? But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Again, he's reminding them, right, that, that hey, that, um, that we got the law, and the law was good, and the law is holy, and the law was a part of God's design. They, and again, the fault is not in the law. Okay, but, yet, but the law was for a season. Right? It was to help us, it was to protect us, it was to show us God's plan right? until Christ came. Right? In fact, a lot of the law, if you go back through um, all of the, the ceremonies and the history and the, the, the holidays and a lot of the law, it was all foreshadowing of Christ. And in fact, there's still some deep, rich symbolism in, in those same ceremonies, in those same laws and, and those things. Again, we don't necessarily abandon those, but we also uh, remember why it was given. And he, he reminds them, why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise of the Messiah. And as he continues to, to, to remind them, right, of this new life that is supposed to come, not just through the law, but, but mainly through Christ. Right? In, in Galatians three twenty one and 22, he says, if the law could give us new life, then we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we received God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. In fact, if, if we look at, um, you know, the, again, there's, and we're going to talk about a little bit later today, even about just what the, the, we, the law is still important. 
Okay, and in that, in fact, that's what Jesus teaches. But again, I want to jump ahead of ourselves, right, quite yet. But as we see that, right, he says that, again, if the law could give us new life, right, if the law could set us free, then, then we wouldn't need Christ, right? If we could be saved by works, then we wouldn't need a Messiah, right? He says, but that's why we have Christ, right? Because the, the scriptures declare, right, we are all prisoners of sin, and we need to be set free from that. And how does that happen? It happens when you receive God's promise of freedom by believing in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Amen. Right? Remember, we've already gone back. He's already reiterated the true gospel, right? He's saying, how do you find freedom? You find it through Christ. Can I save myself by works? No, you can't. That's why Christ came. That's why he died. That's why he resurrected, right? Was to set us free, to step in our place. Right, to pay the price we could not pay ourselves. To set us free, to, to be in an unhindered relationship with God, to, to continue to be transformed by the Spirit, to be, to be made holy like He is holy. Right, and that is the gospel. Right, and, and as we, we learn this, right, proof number one was the Holy Spirit. Proof number two right, was this promise of a new life through the Messiah. Um, then in the next section, Galatians 3, 23 through 29, Okay, he makes the same point again. Okay, this one, I want to jump in and read this text in Galatians 3, picking up at verse 23, where he says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you be belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Right? As we read this text, again, we see the next proof, right, of, of what, how, why say by grace, not by works. Okay, and proof number three that he points out is, is a restored relationship with God. And that's the result of us receiving Christ as our Savior, right? Of inviting him into our lives and surrendering our, our will to him. And say, my life's no longer going to be about me, but now it's going to be about God. And, and, and all that I do is, is, comes out of my relationship with God. You see, he, he says here, as he makes this point, right, over a few different ways in, in verse 24, right? He says, now let me put it another way. Okay, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. Yeah, we see that, again, he's not saying, hey, the law was not bad, right? In fact, the law had its purpose. And, and it, it was holy. In fact, I mean, later he says it's still holy. Okay? And again, like I said, we'll get there, right? We see that. But, but the thing he said is that why did God give them the law, right? He started with Abraham, and then we went through these generations, and he saw the people wander, and he saw how much they needed a, more kind of guardrails in their lives, right, of, of how to live according to, to the way God wants them to live. And so he gives them the law. It was their guardian. 
Right? In fact, when you think about God's ways and like when God, you know, tells us um, even today, right, of the things we should or should not do, he's not telling, it, telling us that to, to, um, to hinder our lives, right, or to, to, to take the fun out of everything. No, he's, he gives us those commands to, to protect us, right, because God knows the, the, all the ramifications of, of sinful choices, Right? And God's commands are just the guardrails on life. And those guardrails are there to protect us from ourselves. Right? God's like, you don't want to go there. Right? That, is, that road is full of pain. Right? That, that road is destructive. Right? That, that road will destroy relationships in your life. That will destroy your physical body. That will, you know, all these things. I mean, God gives us these pathways to protect us from ourselves. In fact, again, I can look in my life and look back and see many different times when God has protected me from myself. Right? There's a lot of times right, when I've, I was even upset with God about why did you not give me what I prayed for? And God's looking back, because you didn't want that, Brian. If I would have said yes, this is, you know, it would have been terrible. In fact, it just, this is last week, somebody came in in my office and they saw like I have a, a, a dirt bike helmet. Uh, sitting on, in my office, okay? And they're like, oh, do you have bikes? I'm like, well, not anymore, right? They're like, well, why? And I'm like, because that's the helmet that saved my life. And it's there, and it's, again, it's there, and it's sitting in my office because one, you, it, again, it was in a wreck, right? Like, you can't, you can't ever wear it again. Yeah, but the other side of that, right, is it also reminds me of the fact that God made me go back and put that helmet on, okay? And God protected me from myself, because if I would have just done my own will on that day, I would have killed myself that day. Again, that's a whole different story, okay? And we don't have time to go into that. But I'll tell you, but God, I look at that, that and it's a reminder that God protected me from my own stupidity. Right? And I still got really hurt and still had a lot, you know, but, I, but I, it didn't kill me. Right? And that whole experience did wake me up, by the way. <laughs> Right, as you think about that, right, I praise God that he's protected me from myself <laughs> at different times. And again, he's kind of making this. He says, but it is because of your relationship with God. It's because he loves you so much that he will set up these guardrails in your life. Right? He, and he gives us these guidelines. Okay, again, I encourage you in this verse, underline the phrase. It says, made right with God through faith. Okay, that is describing a relationship. Is that, and that is, again, the status, the relational status of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you pray and accepted him as your life and invited him in your, into your life, right, and received the gospel, okay, then that is where you have been made right with God. Your relationship that was broken by sin has now been restored, right? And when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Christ that has forgiven your sin, and he sees you as holy. He sees you as forgiven, and, and as we see that, right, and it talks about like, through that that you've put on the clothes of Christ, right? That Christ covers you, right? This is why we are made holy, right, when we receive him. And that relationship is what our faith is about. And there's lots of awesome things that come with that relationship, right? Salvation is one of those, right? Eternal life with him in heaven and his unhindered presence, for eternity, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big benefit of that relationship. <laughs> but it, it comes down to that it's about a relationship with God. 
Christianity is not a religion, right? It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It is a relationship. That's the point. And then the last section I want to cover today is in Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. And as we look at this section again, he makes the same point again. And I want to pick up here, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, where he says, so think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it, it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, and God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Right now, as we read, again, this section right, of Scripture, there's, again, there's, there's such a powerful point in here, right? Of, and he says, okay, fine. If you haven't gotten it yet, let me give you another way, right? Let, try, to, try to understand it this way. Okay, and, and again, proof number four that he presents here, right? Saved by grace, not by works, is your new identity through Christ is you get a new identity when you receive Christ as your Savior, right? When you start that relationship with him, when it's restored, you start walking with him every day in your spiritual journey, right? Is that you are working and growing, right? And living life under a new identity. And, and again, he, he describes it here, right? He says this, um, this identity that you get, right, is God's child. But he says in verse 7 that we just read, he says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Again, this, this whole idea of being adopted back into God's family. Right? Again, we were all created as God's children. Right? But we, again, are like estranged you know, family members, right? We have turned our back. We've, we've walked away. We've, we've said, like, because of our sin and because of our attitude and our ongoing actions, right, that we've said, God, thank you, but no thank you. Right? And yet, when you receive Christ our Savior, it says, no, now you're adopted back into to God's family. Right? And, and, and your, your identity changes for just from God's creation, right, to God's child, just like in this verse, you are no longer a slave, but now you are an heir of the one true king, of, the true, of the, our heavenly father, right? the God of all creation. Like he, he is your dad, right? Again, he kind of started that point in the last section, and, and now he reiterates that, right? That, that we get a new identity through Christ, that we are transformed into a new person, there are, are lots of incredible benefits that come with being an heir of the one true king. Right? And that is your identity. And that, that is, again, the, uh, the most important thing. Right? When we think about that and think about our, our identity, think about um, you know, how, 
how our identity changes things. In fact, if you just kind of step back and look at our world and look at our culture and all the struggles and all the things, guess, guess where the, the enemy has attacked the most? He, he attacks your identity. Right? Even if you follow Christ and you gain that, right, there's, there's this, this, this voice in the back of your head, right, that just tries to keep telling you, like, you're not really saved. You're not really God's child. Right? You're still a sinner. Right? And it's lies. Right, the truth is presented right here, right? No, if you have received Christ as your Savior, your identity is changed. You are God's child. Right, that's your true identity. And in fact, if you look at just all kinds of different issues in our world, right, whether it's racial tensions, whether it's sexual identity, right, whether it's all of the justice, justice, uh, you know, world justice issues going on in our world, right, they all come back to identity. Right, to what is our true identity? And if our identity is defined by Christ, right, then it, it shows, again, you know, then everything comes out of that, right? All these lists of, of ramifications and all the ripples in our lives and all these things. If I'm God's child, right, and I'll submit to his authority in my life and, and live by the boundaries that he gives me and all these kind of things, right, then, then um, again, what I do is not my identity. It's who I am in Christ, Right, even just coming to church on a Sunday does not feed your identity. Right, but your relationship with God does. Right, and I'm a child of God that comes to worship corporately. Right, I'm a child of God that, that goes to this job, right, that has this career. But yeah, again, even that, right, all the way down is like, what's the first question in our, in our culture? Well, what do you do? Right, and we wrap our identity around our jobs, right, and our careers. Again, it all comes down to identity. And we need to find first, our identity is found in and through Christ. I am God's child. A child of the one true king. And that should define everything I do in my life. Right? How, how I do my work and how I, I interact with my, with my family. Right? And, and all of those things come back to this identity of me as God's child. Again, you think even as a parent, right, when, when you have to parent them, right, your kids come to you, right, what's the biggest thing? They're not even scared necessarily of what they did wrong or the punishment. They're worried about what you think about them. Right, coming back, is like, I'm such a terrible kid, right? In fact, you, we've heard them say that, right, that because their identity is being attacked. Right, and that's when you're like, no, you're not a terrible kid. You did some bad stuff, right, but you're not a terrible kid. I think, again, as we think about this, this idea, right, that we get this new identity in Christ. And again, and so as we see this, this point, right, that Paul makes four different times in this section of the letter. Right? I'm saved by grace, not by works. Right? Again, all right, so we get it. Like, we've looked at all these different ways. If I get it, then, then what's the next step? What, is it, what does it truly mean for my life? Right? How do I live out this truth? Well, there's a couple of things that I think we're reminded of that, that Paul alludes to here that, that I think we need to just acknowledge. Okay? The first off okay, is that by being saved by grace doesn't abolish the law. Okay, being saved by grace does not abolish the law. Okay, meaning I can't, uh, oh, you know what, I claim the gospel, I claim Christ. Okay, I can't just forget about it. All, right? God's, God's design and God's boundaries are still God's boundaries. And again, there's a bunch of, of parts of the law, like I said, that we don't adhere to anymore, right? Like I said, like I said earlier, we don't go and sacrifice animals at the temple anymore. 
right? And, and again, that is because that's what Jesus says, right, in Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And that's why, again, there are parts of the law that just, just don't apply anymore because Christ has come and Christ died and Christ resurrected. Right? And there's a part of that, that again, like I said, like sacrificing animals, right? We don't have to do that for our atonement because Christ is our atonement. He fulfilled that part of the law. Right? But notice he says he did not abolish it. Okay, there are parts of the law, again, that still hold incredible value. In fact, again, Paul himself okay, um, reiterates this fact. that if we go back to Romans, and again, truly, if you, you're not sure exactly what the way of, you know, great faith by grace, really all the ramifications of it, I just go back to Romans. I mean, he lays it out very clearly. In fact, we looked at Romans 6 last week, and now we look here, Romans 7 literally talks about this tension between the law and grace, and like, how do we live that out? In fact, and he says in Romans 7, 12, he says, but still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. There, there are, can be lots of wonderful things that we can glean from the law and from the traditions and from, from the ceremonies and the, the, the festivals and the, all those kind of things, right? There, there, there's some, some awesome truths to be found there. He says it, that is still holy. Hey, this is why we still look at the Ten Commandments, right? And they still apply, right? Because the law that God given is still God's design for life. Right? There's still guardrails that will protect us right? as much today in 2022 as it did when it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. We should still live according to those because it's still God's design. Right? It's still holy. But as we think about that, right, um, we understand, though, that, that, again, Jesus did not abolish it. He fulfilled it. Okay, which leads to the next thing we need to know, and that plays into that, right, is that being saved by grace changes my why. I now do good works because of my salvation, not to earn it. Okay, so why do we look at the, the Ten Commandments? Okay, again, originally, it's from the Ten Commandments and all the law that was given after that. Okay, and there's, again, all the, these parts of the law. They were looking to the law in that first covenant for their salvation, for their atonement. Okay, and for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, we don't have to look to it for that reason. Okay, but yet we are still told to do good deeds. But why we do those good deeds is because I am saved, not to earn my salvation. Again, if I, if I break the Ten Commandments, right, then it does not break my salvation. It will mess up my life. Right, there's some earthly ramifications and prices to be paid of sin. We still have those prices, but yet that sin, every sin is covered by the blood of Christ. Now, again, if I break those 10 commandments, it's still going to bring lots of destruction into my life. Right? But it's not going to make me unsaved because that's what the blood of Christ covers. It is still holy. And again, I now do those things not to earn my salvation, but I do it because of my salvation. Because I have the Holy Spirit. Because I am transformed in a new identity. Because I'm in a relationship with God. Because God loves me, I want to love others. Right? And be a light in this world. 
Not to shine my light, not to build my kingdom, but to build God's kingdom. Right? Why I do good works is completely different as a saved Jesus follower. It's not to earn my salvation, but it is because of my salvation. Again, because the reality is your identity changes everything. Right? That's why our world and enemy continues to attack our identity. Okay, because what we believe about our identity will dictate our actions. Okay, and if I believe that I'm a child of the one true king, right, that I want to do what that king tells me to do. Right? And my life becomes about honoring him right, and glorifying him and living it within the boundaries that he has set up to protect me from myself. And I do that because of my salvation, because of all the things that come with Christ. Like I said, Jesus gets in an argument with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. <clears throat> okay, and as he's talking to them, he, they get in this argument. And they, they claim to be sons of Abraham. Right? And he's like, no, if you were true sons of Abraham, you would, you would get what I'm saying, and you don't get it. Hey, and if you've never read John chapter 8, like, I encourage you to read. It's John 8, 31 through 59 is that story. Okay, and everybody go there and read that story with this whole idea of identity and good works in your, in your mind, right? And to see, um, you know, how that plays out. And again, if you don't want to do it by yourself, you can come here, you can stay for second hour and they'll do it because this is in your sermon discussion questions, by the way. So if you want to come on Wednesday, right, Mark and Carrie, lead that group. They'll take you through it on Wednesday. Hey, okay, but as we think of that, um, hey, look at Romans 7.4. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Again, the key to this, right, is as a result, right, because I am saved, now I will do good works. Okay, again, the good works kind of look the same from the outside, Right, but the why is very different. Right, even for those who believe I have to work to be saved, right? Their good works look the same, but their why is very different. And this is why, when you think about our vision, right? That's why a big part of your spiritual growth is to start contributing to God's kingdom, right? To start doing things for His glory and be serve and be involved in the ministry. Right, as we wrap up today, this is just. You know, this whole point, right? Saved by grace, not by works. But yet, I am still created for good works to do for God's glory. Hey, my final thought today just sums this all up in literally in three verses in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, right? That's an identity. You are God's masterpiece. And he's created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. If you've never received Christ your Savior, then you can do that today. Right? Join the journey of faith. Receive your new identity. If you are saved by grace, then Live in your masterpiece, right, as your identity and do the good works that God wants you to do, right? And follow through, right, with God is leading. Lord, we praise you, God, that our life begins with you. Lord, that when we pray and receive you as our Savior, God, we are washed with your blood. 
Lord, we are made new through Christ. Lord, you give us a new identity as your child, as your masterpiece. And God, I pray, Lord, that as a saved people, God, that we would show this world what it means to truly be loved. God, to live for something other than ourselves. And God, I thank you that we are saved by grace. We praise you for that today. And God, as we go this week, may we share that truth with everyone we come in contact with this week. Lord, as we submit to your spirit, live according to your ways, God, and proclaim your truth to this world, God, may you be glorified in it all. Lord, guide us this week. Lord, as we live for you in everything we do, doing good things not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation, so you can be glorified. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. Lord, guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.